You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Before I get into my message this morning, reading um, out of Romans uh, 13, or Romans 14, actually, sorry. And this is kind of a whole chapter that Paul's writing in a letter to the Romans, and in that day, what's happening is they're arguing over um, whether it's sinful or not to eat meat, okay, among other arguments of their day. Now, let's just read some of the language, and I'll talk about why I wanted to bring this up. So, uh, chapter 14, um, we're going to start right in verse 2. So it says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord. So let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and will receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. While others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. We're going to jump down. Verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will be not criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God, which was the beginning of our series, is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ, with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink. He goes on and on. He's continuing to say the same thing he just said. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. I think that goes against our Facebook values. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So listen, we're not arguing over food these days, right? Not too much, at least. But what we are arguing over, masks, vaccinations, our government, policies, our state, all these other things that are going on. Now listen, I know someone's going to immediately want to argue that this is a different situation. 
But the point is this. So many of us see these things from different points of view. And I'll be honest to say this. It's extremely hard in this moment of time to know what is true. Anybody can agree on that? You can read unbelievable conflicting information that will say the exact opposite of each other. And in this day, I really think as Christians, we, we should be praying mostly for discernment. But what I don't want us to do is get caught up in judging and condemning one another over whether I wore a mask or did not wear a mask. Or whether I think the vaccine is safe or not safe. And I really think that it's the same thing. Now, I know that we can, we can argue about what's right here. But this is what I want to do. I want to challenge each one of us. These are just distractions to divide us. And I'm not saying that from a government point of view. I'm not saying the government is trying to divide us, though they may be. But what I know is that the enemy, Satan, is trying to divide us. And so he will use anything in this world and in our lives to bring division among people. And Paul is just admonishing these two little situations. He's talking about when to worship on a certain day and what food to eat. And he's saying, stop using these things to condemn one another. You know, in Colossians 3, it says, make allowances for one another's beliefs. Don't get stuck on certain religious understandings. And yet sometimes we, get, we, we end up like finding these certain things, I think especially right now in our world, and we pick these hills to die on that probably aren't the hills to die on. You know, in another scripture in Romans, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine if that was our goal today. Not to outdo one another in showing who is right as most Facebook comments would go for. <laughs> Outdo one another in showing honor. If we want to advance the kingdom of God, and this is going to be my whole message today, we have to look different. We have to be different. But if we're arguing the same things, or if we're getting stuck in the same places as everyone else, we aren't different. Now listen, I, I purposely wore this today because I've been delivering food out to my parents. And I've stood in their doorway and they've stood far away and I'm vaccinated. I don't know if that freaks anybody out. But I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know if this thing does anything. It definitely makes my face red. And I hate these damn, oh, sh oh my gosh, I'm a horrible human being. <laughs> There you go, your pastor swore in church. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do hate them, but I honestly am like, you know what? If it does something, I don't want to come here and give it to you. If for some reason I'm around my parents and I happen to have caught it, sorry, <laughs> I'm such a horrible pastor. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for swearing. Wow, that just took all the seriousness out of this whole thing. Let's honor one another. No matter what we believe. I, I love what Paul says. If you believe this something so strongly, keep it to yourself. <laughs> Man, we don't like to do that, do we? 
we got to convince everyone else around us to believe just like we do. And on these things, I just want to say, as a church and as people of God who follow Jesus, let's not get stuck on the wrong stuff. Let's not make enemies of the wrong things. Okay? Now, I would agree as well. I have lots of caveats in this. I would agree as well that some of the mandating and all those things, I don't like it. I don't want to be told what to do. I'm American as well. But I also remember I'm not American first. I'm a Christ follower first. And so today we're going to talk about his kingdom. I wanted to admonish us about that a little bit today. But I want to start into this thought about the kingdom. You know, we just finished this series on the church. Um, and I kind of ended on this scripture from Matthew eleven twelve, And this is Jesus speaking. He says this, And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing in the forceful claimant. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing in the forceful claimant. And there's lots of different um, kind of translations to that little part of scripture. Uh, you, you know, you've heard some that might say, and the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. And there's this understanding that there's this forcefulness in, in what's taking place here in the kingdom. And, and kind of what I talked about in that last message was that the church, which I'm going to, why we're going into the kingdom after this, because, listen, the church is what? Please, 11, 12 weeks of this. What is the church? Called out ones. It's you. It's us, right? It's not the building. It's not the name. So if we are the church, the church is actually God's vehicle for extending his kingdom. We are the kingdom extenders in this world. And so we have to try to look at this language because really Jesus, in your notes, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, and it says this, Jesus began to preach from then, repent of your sins and turn to God. I misspelled some stuff in here today. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So this was Jesus' message. The kingdom of heaven is near. This was what he was talking about. This, this is, you know, sometimes we get confused that the good news is summed up completely in the story of the cross. But that's not the good news. You know, the good news that Jesus was preaching had nothing to do with the cross yet because it had not taken place. He was preaching something else. He was preaching about the kingdom of God being near. Now, what we believe in Christianity is that at the cross, when Jesus dies for our sins and he's raised from the dead, that it inaugurated the kingdom of heaven to be on this earth. That this thing began to take place in a way in which it had not yet taken place. So the cross is really just a climactic point in the story of something much larger that Jesus is trying to remind his followers of and the world of. But truthfully, it's a story that's been going on since the beginning of time. And the story is this. That this incredible, wonderful God who created everything we see, breathe, and understand, this universe, he creates it now with these beings that bear his image, humans, and he gives us this world in which to live and to grow and to tend and to take care of it, as we talked about with, with our church series. 
And he says, this is my kingdom. Now I'm going to have you take care of it. And what happens? We didn't do a good job. (laughs) We immediately do the one thing he asks us not to do, which is, this is, this is, this is where humanity is at. If there's ever a describable sin, you know sin isn't just these lists of do's and don'ts. We know that. But if there really is a describable sin, which means how we are missing the mark from Jesus all the time, it's this. We think we know better than you, God. That's literally all sin. Summed up in one one statement. Oh God, you told me not to drink to the point of getting drunkenness. (laughs) I can handle it. And then you get drunk. And you make stupid choices. There's a reason God says, not a good idea to do that. You see, we always think we know better. And that's really the beginning of sin. It was us saying to God, oh, I know you gave us this world, this this place to tend and take care of. And we know you told us maybe just not to do this one thing. But you know what? We want to know for ourselves. I think we know a little bit better. And we've been doing that ever since. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and we see, we see kind of inklings of it all the way through the Old Testament. We see, we see God rescue, or first we see God speak to Abraham, and he pulls him out of the, the kingdom in which he lived, and he said, I am going to create among you a nation, and you're going to bless the nations of the world, and this nation is going to represent me. He was kind of getting back to this place of, I am going to create a people who actually will represent my image in this world. Because before that, you haven't been doing very good. Even before that, we see that Noah was the only righteous person left on earth. And God sends this crazy flood and this crazy thing takes place. But God is saying, literally, I'm always going to have someone who is representing the image of who I am in this world, who actually is living like this is my kingdom and not their kingdom. But we've kind of messed this up. As humans... We've gone about our own way for a very, very long time. And when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, listen, repent. And I did a message on repentance back, I think it was in February. It's not a scary word. Repentance literally just means change your direction and your mind. And so he's saying, listen, change your direction in your mind and the way in which you're going and go towards something that I've designed you to be like, the kingdom. You see, I think in Christianity we've used this word kingdom a lot, but I'm not sure we've really grasped that it's the whole story. The whole story is God's redemption of humanity to live within his kingdom, restoring the kingdom in which he always designed us to live in. And it's not just this world, it's not just people, it's everything. And God's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so for, for him to use this language, now listen, we'll go back to the Jewish understanding. The Jews understood that a Messiah was going to come. They had this prophesied for years and years and years. They understood a Messiah was going to come and was going to rescue them and was going to set up a kingdom. But again, they thought it was in the terms in which they understood kingdoms, just kind of like we think. 
And he goes on to live this life of three and a half years in ministry. Now, what's very interesting is he lives 30 years before the three and a half years that we don't talk about much. Yet Jesus was living within the kingdom of God even then. In his daily life, working for his dad. And he comes to this three and a half years where he goes into this ministry part of his life and he's saying the kingdom of heaven is near. When he says the kingdom of heaven, it would not have made much sense to them even even though the Jews understood a Messiah was going to come and set up a kingdom. They're trying to understand how, because in their head heaven, like our understanding of heaven, is not here. It's somewhere else. But he's saying, no, it's coming here now. This, this understanding of what God designed, it's going to come here and it's actually near and we need to get ready for it. And now you're going to begin seeing ideas of what the kingdom looks like. It's why when Jesus goes to these people who are sick and he heals them, it's because the kingdom showed up. It's not just because Jesus had miraculous powers. It's because the kingdom was coming where Jesus was going. Which is why in Matthew 6, the disciples say, hey Jesus, we noticed you pray a lot. Can you teach us? And he teaches them the Our Father prayer. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching them when you pray, really the first, well, there's, the first thing is be reminded of who God is. Hallowed be thy name. But then he says this, really the main point of our prayer is that his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. That somehow heaven actually comes and collides with the world in which we live right now. Not just as something that we look forward to when we die. (laughs) That the kingdom is meant for our lives and this world right now. And so they had this understanding that this Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up a kingdom. And he was going to do this by getting rid of the Romans, because they're the ones that were, had overthrown the Jewish you know, government of the day, and the, you know, really they were ruling most of the known world at the time. They was going to throw out these kingdoms of the world and was going to replace it with the true kingdom. Now, in our world, in the United States of America, we don't think about the understanding of kingdom very much, because we don't have kings anymore. Even, even, you know, there is a few kings left in the world. There's not tons of them. But even in, you know, the UK, the understanding of, because they're a constitutional monarchy, it's not the same thing anymore. But in those days, when they would say this word kingdom, it came from two root words, king's dominion or king's authority. And what it would say is, is that over this particular area, this king rules everything. He rules everything. So when they were saying kingdom, that God was going to come up and set up a kingdom on this earth, they believed he was going to rule over everything, which we also believe. But what Jesus does, and what we need to continue to allow him to do, is to mess up our understanding of kingdom. And I want to read some scriptures today, and, and this is going to be kind of a long series. We're going to talk about kingdom quite a bit. We're going to talk about advancing the kingdom. We're going to talk about what the kingdom means in our personal lives. We're going to talk about the obstacles that 
come in our lives that keep us from actually living like his kingdom is real or like we can advance it. We're going to talk about the things we need to do as Christians. But today, I just want us to get a quick grasp. And it's going to take me some weeks, honestly, but a quick grasp on this idea of kingdom first. Okay, so what is the kingdom? An area under the authority of a king. So in Matthew 13, if you guys want to turn there, um, or there's... You know, I don't know if they even have my scriptures on because I have a ton of them this morning. But Matthew 13 is really full of parables, stories that Jesus told about the kingdom. And he would usually start it by just saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? And then he would tell a, a, a little mini story. So I'm going to read through a bunch of them. Okay? We're not going to, I could spend an entire message on one of these. But we're just going to read through a bunch of them so that we can start to grasp a little bit more about the kingdom, okay? So uh, Matthew 13, we're going to start in verse, we're going to skip to verse 24. And so here is, it says, Here's another G- story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the fields where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvest to sort out the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. All right, let's just think about this for a quick second. Not going to tear it apart crazy. But this really is a picture of humanity. Okay? A picture of humanity. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who plants good seed. Well, the farmer is God. It's Jesus. He plants seed in a literal garden. And then an enemy comes and plants a different seed of thought in this woman, in this man, in the Garden of Eden. And what happens? Weeds begin to grow. Now in that moment, he has this choice. Do we just pluck out the weeds? But he says, no, it'll kill the the good ones too. And so you want to know why bad things happen in a good world? Or in a, in, to good people in this world? There's your answer. Because if God had to weed our world of badness, we would all die in the process. So he literally looks back and says, okay, they made a choice. Now this world has weeds in it. This world has sin in it. It has brokenness in it. And if I had to correct it, it would kill everybody in the process. It would pull the wheat out with the weeds. And so God literally in his goodness says, no, now it's just going to have to grow like that. But we'll fix it in the end. Story of humanity. The end hasn't come. Luckily, he hasn't sorted the weeds from the wheat just yet. I don't want to be a weed. That gets burned. Doesn't sound pleasant. But this is God. He's trying to give this understanding of the kingdom to them because they don't understand it as much as we don't understand it. And so it's interesting that this first parable about the kingdom, he starts off with just telling a really little mini story about humanity. 
Because humanity and the kingdom of God is inseparable. Our dilemma of being caught in a world full of weeds can't be fixed with the snap of a finger. It can't be altered and corrected in just some simple way. And so Jesus explains to them, the kingdom of God is like this. But what's interesting to me is this. The kingdom of God has weeds in it. God lets them grow because he wants to restore it at the end, but he wants to take care of the good wheat in the middle of it. So even in a world that we live in right now, and and for us, I would agree, it looks worse than we've ever known, but it's not worse than it's ever been. Imagine if you lived in Afghanistan right now. We We don't all even live in the same world. And so God, he's, he's saying literally in the middle of this, yes, there's weeds and there's, there's junk and there's brokenness, but listen, at the end, there's going to be some sorting that takes place. There's going to be restoration that takes place. And so he gives this picture of humanity as this first likening to the kingdom. Now let's move down. Verse 31, he says, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. I mean, this one, unless you study this, I haven't got a clue what this means. Anybody here growing mustard seed plants? Right? Most of us are not. Now, we can try to grasp some small things, but literally in that day, it did mean some certain stuff. And really the quick understanding of this is that the mustard seed actually gave protection, well the plant, gave protection to other things growing in the garden. I don't know if any of you know, but in coffee plantations, in today's world, they grow banana trees a lot of times with them. They don't really care about the banana trees, they just care about the giant leaves it produces, which helps shade the coffee plants and protect them from the sun. Because they shouldn't have direct sun all the time. And this was a likening to understand saying, listen, the kingdom of God is like a plant that takes care of you, even in the midst of a world that has weeds. It's not perfect. The kingdom is here. But it isn't fully established yet, and life isn't going to just be perfect. But it will take care of you. It'll even give you a place to reside. It says, you know, birds come and make nests in its branches. That it's a place in which you can find resource and protection. Let's go on. 33, Jesus uses this other, another illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast the woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in, in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And so we see this idea that even though there's three measures of flour and just a little bit of yeast, that the kingdom ends up permeating everything it touches. I think this is a great picture of also the world. A great picture of what Jesus says when he says, forcefully advancing, that really we're supposed to be permeating the world around us. 
We're supposed to actually change everything around us. And actually, if you put yeast in flour, it actually changes it, right? It changes the compounds of what is taking place. It's an activist. It, it, it changes what it touches. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like in our lives. But if we don't embrace the kingdom of God and we just become great church attenders, I'm not sure we permeate very well. In fact, if we just decide to put all the yeast in the same container, what happens? Nothing. If we just decide that the yeast or the church or the people of God, the kingdom of God belongs inside just these four walls on a Sunday morning for 90 minutes or so, we're not going to see the world permeated the way God designed us to. Jump down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. The next one is very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. The idea here? When we actually understand what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, it should be worth everything we own. When we actually see it for what it is, when we actually value what the kingdom is, us selling everything we have isn't such a strange idea. But when we just present religion to the world, or we just present maybe our understanding of church to the world, and then we kind of try to call people to sacrifice for it, it seems really expensive for what they're getting. But when we actually show the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to this world, and people see it, when they actually start to touch the kingdom of heaven and what it has to offer us and what it has to do in changing us, then all of a sudden it starts to look really easy to give up everything we own. Story of the rich young ruler. It says this rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And I've preached on this a number of times because it's, it's a very interesting story because first off, a rich young ruler would not go to see a rabbi. They would send someone to say, hey, bring this guy to me because he's the rich young ruler. You don't go to people. Someone comes to you. But he understands even a little bit that Jesus is someone he wants to come and almost submit to. So it says he comes to Jesus and he asks him, what must someone do to be saved? And, he, and Jesus goes on to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, Jesus, and this guy says, well, great, I've been doing that. And Jesus says, you're right, you have been doing that. Now go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and then come follow me. says the rich man lowered his head and went away sad. It's the same thing that we struggle with today. 
I, I think this rich young ruler, he had seen Jesus from afar. He'd probably heard of his miracles. He'd heard of this great rabbi and great teacher, but yet he had probably not experienced the kingdom for himself fully. And so when it came to this idea of sacrificing everything, he goes, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. But when we bring the kingdom where we go, and when we have the right eyes to see right, it's like a choice pearl. It's like a hidden treasure in a field where we sell everything we have to gain that instead of what we had before. Both of these parables, radical decisions are made. You know, Heather alluded a little bit to the prophetic word they had last week. And, you know, I was sitting here, so listen, you know, if you don't know what prophetic words are, this is what we believe. We believe that in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul reasserts that the prophetic is for today. We believe that God is still speaking and he speaks through people. And so Charlie was here, our, our great friend Charlie Sweet, and he felt to have this word that he felt God was speaking to him over some people. I was sitting here in the front row and he said, hey, who's this guy in the back with the chrome dome? It was Tony. And so I look back, and I see it's Tony, and I lean over because now Charlie has met Heather and, and the rest of us as staff a number of times. He's probably even met Tony, but he didn't know the context, and I was like, you know what? He should know who he is. So I lean over, and I say, hey, do you know who that is, as he was calling Tony to come up? And he, he literally puts his hand, I don't know if you noticed, he went like this to me. He goes, don't tell me. All right. And so then he has Tony come up here, and Heather comes in a little bit later, right, in the middle of it. And he, he speaks this word that he felt from God over their life, and it was extreme, actually. For Heather, the part she shared today, she talked about security, and he talked about not having doubt, and he talked about not putting our trust in the wrong things. And then even to Tony, he said a, a number of things. One of the things he said was, God's going to be changing what you do. He said that people were going to come and sit at the feet of him as a teacher. He said that really you should take 30 days at least and just get with God and not work. I don't know how that's going to work with your job, but not work so that God can speak to you about what's coming next. Now all the while I'm dying because I'm going to tell you what we haven't told, said publicly. About three months ago I went to Tony and I said, hey, do you want to work for the church? And he said, not really. In so many words. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll back up just a little bit more. I, this last year, and we're going to announce this in, in greater detail, I felt God tell me, and, and really it's, it's kind of coming from that Matthew 9 scripture, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Because the harvest is great, but the workers are few. And I felt like God was saying, you better prepare workers, or you're going to get caught not having enough for the work you're calling the church to do. We can, we can dream all we want about planting more churches, about affecting the world, about advancing his kingdom, but without people, it's impossible. Without a little bit of yeast, which is you, it's impossible. And I felt like God saying, you need to prepare people. You need to equip people. And so for years, we did this program called Momentum, um, it's really a gap year program, a one-year program. Most people were kind of between high school and college or maybe college in their work years. 
and it was a four-day-a-week thing, and, and it was incredible. We had a lot of students go through it in the six, six seven years that we did it, and then COVID hit, and we kind of haven't done anything with that in a while. Well, I felt like God's saying, you need to reopen, but it's going to be different. It's going to be a, a full-fledged school, and you need to hire someone to do this. I'm like, okay, Jesus, who? Well, that who turned out to be Tony. You know, actually, in a, in a dinner, I, knew, I came to find out that Tony actually has a teaching degree. It's just that for years, he's been working in the security field, which I think is funny. And he had just said yes to me in July. Yes, I'm going to do this. And, and you probably don't know, but even recently, he's been able to take leave from work. He's not fully done his job, but he's actually on leave from work. He hasn't been working for actually almost 30 days now. 30 days tomorrow. And so when Charlie comes and gives this prophetic word, not knowing anything that's going on, what a confirmation that God has plans and purposes for our, our life. And he spoke right to the situation, right to the moment, because this is what I'm convinced of. God wants us to advance his kingdom, but he needs some workers to say yes. He needs some people willing that when they see the kingdom of God, they realize the value, and so they go and sell their fields. They give up what they knew and the security they had to actually get what God has that's going to be greater. I want to say thank you, Tony, for doing that. You'll hear more about that in the future. (laughs) The kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. And when we see the value, it is not expensive for us to sell everything we have to gain it. But this is where things start to get interesting because the kingdom of God in the eyes of the world around us does not make sense. So what looks like valuable to us and us willing to give up things in our life to see the kingdom of God established doesn't make sense to the world because it's not the same value system. And this is what Jesus was starting to basically confront in the disciples and in the Jewish people of that day. You see, they really thought a certain kingdom was coming. But it's interesting because all of these parables, I mean, they're not really that easy. In their head, they're like, isn't the kingdom of God when you overthrow the government and we get to live free? But he kept using these stories one after the other. This is what the kingdom is like. 47 through 51, the last one we'll mention. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. We'll stop there because the rest is not so fun. 52, then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. You see, he was challenging them because he's speaking to religious leaders. He's saying, if you're willing to change the way you think, it's going to be like you getting new value, new gems. Because he was challenging their religious thinking. 
He was challenging the idea of what they held the kingdom to be. So what is the kingdom? Let's keep going. Matthew 20. We got this story in Matthew 20 that takes place. In verse 20 it says this, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus, or came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able, able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. <laughs> A little naive. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. It just means they were mad they didn't ask first. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Listen, Jesus is describing the kingdom here. You see, he's been talking about the kingdom. And he comes to this spot where, where this this mother asked, hey, in your kingdom, can my son sit on your right and left? Because she could only understand the kingdom from her perspective. She's thinking in this literal sense of God sitting on this throne and, and there being two special chairs and her sons might get to sit there. So she's asking before anybody else asks. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're asking. And then he goes on to explain what the kingdoms of this world act like. Because he says the kings in this world flaunt their authority over those under them. You know, the word there and the way it's basically, uh, let me get back to it. It says, you know the rulers in this world lord it over their people. That word lord it over means forceful um, action. It means that when kings want something done, if someone's unwilling, they forcefully made you do it. And so he's comparing, he's saying, listen, the kings in this world, this is how they act. They force things on the people under them. They flaunt their authority to those under them. But among you, it will be different. And then he goes on to explain what the different is. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Now this is very personally said. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your, your not a servant, must be your servant. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, the ownership is backwards. In the kingdom of heaven, it's not by lording over and flaunting authority, it's literally by serving and coming under and literally submitting yourselves to others. It's a very different kingdom than what they understood. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's trying to get them to understand that the whole way they understand that a kingdom is established, because in their world, in our world, how do we think kingdoms get established? By force. We do. It's why we've been in Afghanistan for 20 years. Because in our mind, we think we can force something on people and that a kingdom can be established. In fact, it works in certain ways, right? We forcefully became a country of our own. We forcefully said, no, thank you, UK. We want to be a country of our own. And so by force, we want our freedom. And so we understand that force works to a degree, but it's flawed. It never produces the results. In fact, every kingdom fails that is one under force at some point. Every kingdom in the history of the world that has won its, its reign under force has failed. Some are in that current state. But the truth is, countries come and go. Kingdoms come and go of this world, but not God's kingdom. And he was trying to get them to understand that the way you see kingdoms of this world is not the way we're going to establish this kingdom. In fact, you think that I'm going to come and lord over people. You think that I'm going to come and flaunt my authority as the son of God. But actually what I've come to do is serve people and to give my life as a ransom. He completely flops it upside down. You know, the same story is retold in Luke 22. It's a a similar story. I don't know, actually, uh, some scholars think he said it twice. Some think that just the way they recorded it, Luke puts it in. The same conversation happens in the Last Supper. And I love it. I love it in this context too. So we're going to jump down. So the Last Supper is taking place. He's passing the, the, the meal. He's passing the cup. And he says, in verse 16, he says, For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he passes the wine. And he actually says a very similar thing. He says, For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And then he goes on to say, but here at this table sitting among, among, or he goes on to, uh, we'll jump down further. Uh, Verse 25, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, you will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important than the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as the one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he goes on to say, listen, you've misunderstood how this is going to be established. I think we've done the same thing. I think even when we read the whole forcefully advancing thing, we immediately go to a military understanding. But the truth is that the way the kingdom of God is best established is through service and love. It's completely contrary to our human thinking. 
But I mean, if you look at history, if you look at the trajectories of nations being changed, most of the time it's through people who are acting in those ways. You see the forceful people too, and we talk about that in history. But under the surface, when we see the trajectories of nations do well, it's because someone inside those nations said, I'm going to serve. I'm going to love people even if they don't understand it. This is what we're called to as the church. Service and love. We're we're called to forcefully advance servanthood. We're not called to aim our guns at certain people or to to just shoot truth everywhere where we are. We are supposed to speak truth. We are supposed to be involved in things. But in service and love is when we will see the greatest kingdom impact in this world. It's silly of us to think that if we act like the world, we'll accomplish a different result. If we go around just judging everyone and calling them out and, and, and really just trying to prove how our rightness is better than their rightness, we are not going to achieve the kingdom of heaven. I think what happens is we get distracted and we just build our own little kingdoms. But yet the kingdom of heaven is something that God has called every one of us to carry, to accomplish, and to advance. And for some, it might be changing a vocation. For some, it might simply be changing your language. For some, it might be changing your mindset towards the people you work around. Or how you interact online. Or how you speak about certain things. For some of us, it's literally changing how we view those around us and then how we treat them. And when we actually begin to act like the kingdom has called us to act, like we are actually bearing the image of God in this world, I think the world will be transformed. Jesus' ways are higher than ours. Yet for all of humanity, we don't think that. (laughs) When someone abuses me or when someone does something that hurts me, my reaction is defensiveness, not love. Not peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. God's calling us to look different in this world. He's calling us to carry a different kingdom in this world. And we're going to talk over these next number of weeks, what does it actually look like to be the kingdom of God? What does it look like to actually be those who serve instead of those who might try to lord over? What does it actually look like to be those who come in love, in service, in a world that demands that we act differently than that. In a world that's demanding you to try to pick a side right now. Pick a side on everything, whether it's masks or vaccinations, whether it's political standpoints or or whatever. Everyone is trying to force you to pick a side. 
And even when they did that to Jesus, I love, he somehow comes in between the two sides and he says, no, I'm, I'm from a different kingdom than the one you're talking about. They try to trap him with this idea of, you know, hey, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And they knew that if he answered yes or no, he was going to make one part of the crowd angry. And yet he comes in and he somehow gets right in the middle of that and says, no, nah, I'm, I'm about something completely different. This is the kingdom God's called us to live like. The church is that vehicle. The people called out are the ones called to advance that kind of kingdom. Will we be it? Are we willing to lay down our old way of living and pick up the way of the kingdom? You know, as Jesus was coming, and he's talking about this kingdom of heaven, I think the best way I've heard others explain it, he's literally presenting a new way of being human. A new way of living life. Not the way that we've all really grown up in or the way that the world tries to force us, but literally a new way. Getting us back to who we were called to be since the beginning of time. This is the kingdom story. This is our story. And I don't know when that story comes to an end and Jesus does the whole sorting thing. But I know this, I want to be on the right side of seeing people come to know a God who loves them desperately. A God who wants to show his goodness to this world. If you're watching today online, you're in this room and you don't even know if you understand who this God is, I'm telling you, a God of the universe with seven billion other souls breathing right now, he's not too busy to notice you. He loves you right where you're at. He wants a different way of life for you. He's not demanding you to just fulfill some set of rules and, and then you're good enough to maybe make it to heaven one day. That is not the picture of this story. The picture is he's saying, listen, I have so much more for you. I see you in a different way than the world has seen you. I, I call you differently than the world has called you. And he's trying to draw out of us this image thing that he's put on humanity since the beginning of time. He's trying to say, listen, you look like me. Well, maybe not right now, but you can look like me. He's saying it to all of us. Listen, I need his image a little more. I just swore during my message. It's okay. God wants to draw you in closer. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done. Can we stand this morning? that's you this morning, if you're watching online, you're in this room, you want to know how you become a part of this kingdom? It's a little bit, of, little bit contrary to the way we like to think, but it's, it's this. It's a submission. He's paid the price, the entry fee to get in. That's what the cross was all about. You don't have to do anything on your own other than to say, okay, God, I don't want to do it my own way anymore. I'll do it yours. Jesus, I accept this grace you have for me. God, I want a new way of living. You can whisper those words to yourself. You can say them in your heart. And immediately God comes into your life. He comes closer than he's ever been. And he starts to draw you into a new way. 
That whole repentance thing is literally, he'll start to change your direction. He'll start to change your mind. And all you have to simply do is say, Jesus, I want that. God, I want that. I want in. So I'm going to pray right now this morning. I'm going to pray for people who are maybe in the midst of that decision. I'm going to pray for those of us who are on the other side of that decision, but maybe have gotten a little distracted with the kingdoms of this world. I'm going to pray that as we go forward as a church into these next 40 years as we've been talking about the celebration of our last 40, that we represent the kingdom of God above all else. So Father, we thank you for what you're doing this morning. God, we thank you for every person in this room. God, we thank you for every person watching online this morning. God, we thank you that you've drawn so many of our hearts to understand that life is more than just going about, accomplishing certain things, and getting to some retirement age, but God, that you have purpose, you have plans. God, that you have something for us to do while we're here. And God, we know that that is extending your kingdom. God, not through, not through some forceful idea in the sense of, of lording over, but God, in a forceful way of serving and loving others. So God, I pray for every person in this room. God, I ask if someone's in the midst of that decision right now saying, God, I want to be a part. God, I pray right now that something would come over their heart, over their mind, and over their life. In Jesus' name, that you would pull them into your kingdom right now. And God, for those of us who maybe have made that decision, but we found ourselves stuck at times, distracted by the voices of this world, distracted by the kingdoms of this world, distracted by the ideas of this world, God, I ask right now that you would recenter our heart and our mind on you. God, that like the Jews in that day, we would not get distracted just by religion, but we would remember what your kingdom is about. God, we would remember how to act within that kingdom. And God, I pray that you'd start to imprint on our hearts the ways that we're called to be changed, the ways we're called to transform, and the, way, the ways that we're called to represent your goodness in this world. I thank you for who you are, Jesus. I ask for your blessing over every person in Jesus' name, over everyone online, over every family. God, as we enjoy this holiday weekend, God, we ask for your blessing over families and relationships. God, we ask right now for you to just cover every person who's dealing with sickness, with COVID, God. God, we ask for your blessing over the hospitals and the nurses and the workers. God, over the schools as school has started and over the teachers and the kids. God, we ask right now for your covering over this world in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day. And we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.